Hey everyone, NBZ here, and before we start today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that we had a few technical difficulties going on, uh, on Bali's end mainly, because his laptop is uh, on fire and is dying, and I'm telling him to get a new one, but his Mac is his favourite thing in the world, and he's a massive Apple fanboy, so he's probably just going to get another Mac. But that aside, uh, first and third segment, a little bit of fuzziness on Bally's audio, not sure where that came from, Uh, and then in the second segment, there is some skipping happening in his audio, which I've tried to patch up as best I can. It's kind of similar to the situation we had with John Bernardo when he was on, uh, but uh, I think it's okay. I don't know. Uh, I've done my best, but uh, it should sound somewhat coherent. Anyway, I just wanted to let you guys know of those difficulties. Hopefully, we'll uh, get things sorted for next time, but um, the show is still listenable, so I hope you enjoy anyway. Uh, Here is the episode. Hello everyone, and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 91. My name is MBZ, and I'm joined as always by Bali. Hi MBZ, I'm very well, how are you? Uh, I'm good, thanks. I feel like that's one of the most normal intros I've done in a while. Didn't try to mince my words. Normal's not normal, unless you, you combine it with being extraordinary all the time. And you can't be extraordinary all the time. I mean, I am extraordinary all the time. Yeah, but then that just becomes normal. That's very true. We, we have to we have to break the mold sometimes, uh, and, and that's what we've done like, here today. Uh, people don't like normal. Like you can you can ask the whole population. Like, do you think you have a good IQ? And all of them will say that they're above average. Yeah, I but, agree. But, but obviously, someone has to be average and below average. Yeah, Otherwise no one likes to average. admit it, but right. someone has to do the job. So, if uh, we want to put in an average episode every now and then, so be it. Well, but look, I'm not saying the episode's going to be average. The intro might <laughs> be the average. Intro. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a stellar episode, as always, because this podcast is never anything less than stellar. Um, I'm MBZ, as I said, uh, and uh, yeah, we're here. Um, episode 91. We're crawling close to that 100, Bally. It, uh, it seems close. It may be a little further away. With the nature of us doing an episode every two weeks, it does kind of crawl along a bit. So... Um, it's you crept know. up on us a bit, though. It's, it's kind of yeah, like, maybe wow. a little bit. A little we're bit, in the nineties, but we're going to be yeah. That's our favorite year, ninety one, of course, for both of us. The year we were born. So I guess, Good point. Uh, you know, tradition. Some the best time to have an average episode. <laughs> it is. It's the best time to be playing video games, Bally. Um So, uh, how about you tell us what's going on with the show today? For the show, we're going to talk about what we've been playing for the first segment. Our second segment will be some listener emails as usual and then for the third segment uh we've got a, an interesting email to go over that that talks about the nes and the snes uh and we can maybe mention some of the news and rumors with the uh snes classic and obviously the, the discontinuation of the, the the nes classic yeah indeed uh it's interesting stuff going on there and i'm sure we'll have a lot to say but uh, we have a lot to say about other things as well. Uh, and Bali, uh, how about you tell us about some of the video game things you've been involved with in the last couple of weeks? Sure, I've got, I've got three little things. Uh, first thing, very quickly, Caroline beat Link Between Worlds. Wow, like, congratulations, round of applause. Re- really very fast. Good stuff. And, very and good. I, was, I was very shocked and impressed. Uh, yeah. And she actually finished that game with more hearts than me. So like, she explored more of Hyrule and Low Rule collected more stuff uh saw more of that game than i did uh which is 
when I think about Pretty it though, Bally, I do think that because we were kind of playing this for the podcast when we were first starting out, and you were just like in love with this game and you just wanted to mainline it so, so hard, uh, I feel like both of us maybe just kind of burned through it in a very short period of time. Maybe didn't give it room to breathe. Uh, but, yeah, I didn't think know. I mainlined it necessarily. I definitely collected a lot of the, the pieces of ore and stuff. And that's an interesting point is that Caroline didn't get she got one piece of ore and obviously there there are four pieces of ore in the game you can upgrade your sword twice so she didn't upgrade her sword once to face the final boss so that's insanity it was a bit of a slog for her but she did it herself like i didn't help i didn't say like oh this is how you do it i just let her do it she died a lot but she eventually beat it and like she only got two bottles which is the other crazy thing so she beat the final boss with two bottles and about three quarters of the hearts uh and the weakest sword so yeah, that was a bit crazy. Playing a hardcore, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then she's just like, what's Master Quest? I'm like, oh, don't bother with that. It's not good. It's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit of a slog. Uh, but then without me like saying, oh, what, what game are you going to play next? She's like already just started chanting the Pirate's Curse. Like, oh, wow, really? Two, yeah, she's just gone for it. Because I recommended before she started Link Between Worlds that uh, chanting the Pirate's Curse would be something she should maybe check out. And I sort of said to her, it's probably a bit harder than Link Between Worlds, uh, but it's a, it's a great game. We've talked about it. I, t- I played it uh, middle start of last year. and Yeah. yeah so. It's an interesting one to She's go for. It's, n- it's not kind of a classic I would crutch on, but you not, know. No, I, I, I brought over like Luigi's Mansion 2, uh-huh. which you might give a, give a while. Uh, that's, that's, a game. that's a hell of a game, Luigi's exactly. Mansion 2. Exactly, and she... Yeah, she's not a big like platformer fan. She wants something sort of third person that has some sort of story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Shante has just about enough character interactions and story to to go along with. I mean, it is a platformer though, so it, <laughs> we'll uh, see how that it's, works. It's more Metroidvania. Yeah, uh, like debatable. Of Zelda. I guess debatable. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, anyway, but sure. she's gaming like crazy at the moment which is that's very great strange yeah like your gaming education beginning with link between worlds is not a bad way to start it's I have to a say, pretty great like, start i must yeah. say um great good recommendation um from us uh, yeah. so i have also been playing the the puyo puyo tetris demo the uh, word that is very hard to say and yeah, i'm not puyo, even sure what the way puyo 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 puyo, puyo, puyo. who knows it's like, japanese. shall we translate it from japanese no let's just leave it the way it is why not yeah let's, let's yeah. just keep it the way um i've never really pay, played p oh, geez this is difficult isn't it? i've never P-P- really let's played just call it puyo, puyo. tetris <laughs> <sighs> i've never really played puyo puyo uh and uh, this is where i my pop shield <laughs> exactly <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying Puyo. Uh, Puyo, Puyo. Um, I've never played it, and I just thought, this demo is fun. Uh, me and Caroline can do, like, verses against each other. And that game is is good fun. Like, it's it's got a lot of Puyo, Puyo. It's got a lot of Tetris. You can play as much of one or the other, and then you can combine them and play against each other in, like, a battle where one person is playing as Tetris and one's playing as Puyo, Puyo. And... It's just weird. I, my main criticism, in my in my view, when they play like four, five, six matches, and I found the problem was that, so in these sort of Tetris battle games or Puyo battle games, whatever you want to call them, you sort of are getting rid of blocks 
in order to like give blocks to your opponent. So right. it's basically like, like throwing you... trash mobs onto the other screen. Exactly. So if you're playing as Puyo, Puyo and you defeat like you get rid of some blobs and then the Tetris player gets blocks. For me, that punishment is a lot more devastating for the Tetris player than when the Tetris player clears lines mm. because the punishment for the Puyo player is that blocks come down on top of their um, structure right. and actually don't... Uh, they're easy to get rid of. They come down on top of the structure and then you just simply have to blow up your poo blobs whatever you call them around mm-hmm. that structure and they vanish and it's right like, because right, on, on tetris it comes from below so it's pushing you up and exactly. up towards the sky uh, and i think puyo is it's a weird one i always say that for it's <laughs> a weird one but it's strange because puyo it feels to me like there's a lot of luck when you're uh, there's, there's luck and skill i suppose but when you're clearing lines of blobs that then make other blobs fall down and you're going for multipliers essentially that punish your opponent way harder because in my view in these versus puzzle games the key is to clear lots at once to really hurt your enemy rather than gradually just firefighting essentially Mm. so you know the the obvious equivalent with tetris is you just keep a nice clear block linear block down the side and then that long linear block comes and bam you clear four rows at once so right it's it's like that essentially, and so I was playing as Tetris. He was Puyo for a while, and I just got beaten like two, three times in a row, fairly convincingly. And then we wow. swapped, and I did beat her, but it took me a lot longer. And then we both played as Tetris, and it was a bit more traditional, and both played as Puyo. So that that's a fun game. Like it's really, it's very colourful. It's a very obvious thing to say, but I've I've never really gotten into puzzlers, and like I've, whenever I've played Tetris, it's always been. I don't think I've ever owned Tetris. Like it's always you, been. You didn't like, own the Tetris on Game Boy, like the most sold version of that game. No, and now I'm like regretting that I maybe didn't pick up because there was like, you know, Nintendo did some deal where Tetris. Yeah, went. they got it, they sold. It was I believe it was to do with Ubisoft having the rights on Tetris in Europe or in some regions, and right. as a result, Take they the had to re basically rescind Tetris on Game Boy from the 3DS eShop. So if you had it, you, you've got it still, and you can still mm. get it. Um, uh, actually, I'm not even sure if you can re-download it, but if it's on your 3DS, you have it. Uh, now it's gone from the eShop, so you just can't even get it anymore, which is, mm. quite frankly, absurd. And I, I, I'm kind of gutted that I didn't get on it uh, back in the day. because. So I, one of my first experiences with Game Boy was playing tetris and it was because i borrowed it from uh someone at school who basically lent it to me for like a week or two and we i basically like the only thing i had was tetris so i was just going ham on that um and uh yeah after that you know eventually my sister got one but i remember it being a very good version of it despite having not really played much else before but you know my dad was always a big tetris fan so i remember Mm. him you know playing a bit of it and and enjoying that so uh yeah i i picked up this demo as well and tried it out for a little while i'm just fucking bad at tetris i suck yeah and i think i just don't have the acuity for um for like 
predicting not necessarily predicting but keeping in mind what blocks are coming and making sure i have a pattern set up that is going to work for that uh and i think maybe just because this is a battle style thing i was playing against the cpu i had the pressure mounting because of the stuff you know coming from below uh, and I just uh, I kind of failed really bad. I didn't beat the CPU once. I played like four or five rounds. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, but I didn't, I didn't try any of the Puyo Puyo stuff because mm. um, I don't know. I just I, I I'll pick it up again and give it a go. But I think Tetris is better. Puyo Puyo's fun, but I don't know. Tetris is a, an older formula that works better. I don't know. I, I, this is me coming as like a, a puzzler noob, just sort of trying this game that combines two traditional puzzle games and thinking ah oh, this one's better than the other one but it's cool and i i love that i love that it's other that we've already played snipper clips and this is like another thing we could just try where you take two joy con one each and just play some multiplayer games and like i'm really look it actually works really well and it's you don't have to think about any other controllers it's all right there and i really look forward to see seeing what else can be done with that format with the switch like with co-op multiplayer yeah totally did you play it on the switch screen itself or on the tv did you try it out uh we just played it on the tv uh but yeah then we'd have to use the stand and no one wants to use the stand so no i'm not yeah i'm not really massively fan of that of just um what do you call it when you're holding what's the name of that 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 what just that. you know tabletop mode or tabletop mode yeah, yeah. There so yeah i don't know i guess holding the joy con sideways anyway is is an interesting thing when it comes to tetris because you have to use analog control right you don't have a mm. d-pad to, no to drop things but so feels okay because these analog sticks kind of have like, it's almost like they have a d-pad in them or something like i don't know how you describe it but they have a you can really feel the eight directions more so than like I would argue uh, Wii U or a Wii analog stick on like a nunchuck hmm. or something like it. It's, 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 it's like not rounded. quite GameCube levels of having notches to uh, tell you. But, no, yeah. but there's something in there that makes it feel different. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's maybe a little a little stiffer of an analog stick than the the Wii U one is, um, which I kind of prefer. I think I think the looseness is something that, especially on PS4, the analog sticks are very loose, and I'm not a huge fan of those. Um, but uh, yeah, it's you know I guess it works uh, for for some 2D stuff. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I've I've yet to play any like 2D platformers on on Switch, so I haven't got to test like whether those buttons work as D-pad or whether I use analog stick. I don't know. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that yeah. is the, that it. Then you played some yeah, no, that's pure pure Tetris. Very quickly, um, I've been playing the original F Zero uh, on my Wii U Virtual Console. Uh, back to my roots. This this game is. How do you describe it? it it's just... It, it's one of those games I've been meaning to play for a very long time, really, because I'm such a big F-Zero fan, and we've not had F-Zero in such a long time, and it feels very strange to go back to where it all started, bearing in mind that this is, like, the first Mode 7 game, I believe, and was also a SNES launch game. So Right, it's, it was Mario World and F-Zero with the two launch games. Like, a crazy for, uh, launch lineup when you think yeah. about it. Um, and it holds up fairly well. I think it, it feels an awful lot like the Game Boy Advance games. Uh, and very easily what this game has that the Game Boy Advance games don't is like the classic music and tracks. So we're talking Mute City, Big Blue, 
the, those matching theme songs you got the blue falcon like the blue falcon's not even in like um the, the game boy advance game wait uh, are you kidding Velocity. me they don't have the blue falcon no in that they game? have this other something falcon and, and I'm, i swear i might be wrong i don't know where i'm getting this from it's just in the back of my mind somewhere okay but in the sort of f-zero lore that falcon is like either his father or his son or something weird okay. i don't even know well, I mean, um, there was like a manga and stuff for F Zero. Yeah, I recall. So, so like, there, there is, is some more... some deep seated lore going on with F Zero. Yeah. So, but this game it it's cool. Like it 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 works well, and I I think the Game Boy Advance games handle an awful lot better than this game. Um, and when I initially played started playing it, I thought oh, I'll just have to get used to it. But then I played like a, a few hours worth, and I was kind of like, nope, this really does feel like considerably less refined than the game Boy advance games hmm, um okay and it, it's just fascinating that with similar controls between i guess a, a snes and the game Boy advance controls they really managed to refine those controls into something that felt like a proper racing game more so than the original f-zero i feel with maximum velocity even though both of these games are like racing games with d-pads which feels weird in and of itself I mean, so, we dealt with it with Mario Kart DS for a long time, so I'm I'm no stranger to playing a racing game with a D-pad. You see, Mario Kart DS is actually, I, that's harder to go back to, I feel, than these F-Zeros in a weird way. Like it, right, I mean, it is a 3D game, right? So It, it is, is a uh, 3D game, but F, there's something about F-Zero, that style of F-Zero game and a D-pad that actually go together better than you, you think it would on paper. Sure. Um, and obviously with the n64 version i've not played uh gamecube f0 gx goes you need an analog stick for that it's just there's no way you could even attempt to play that with a gamecube d-pad sure. uh, but i mean the gamecube d-pad is garbage to begin with so mm. but in, like in terms of a, a whole gaming package i don't think it's the best f0 by a long way um it's probably the worst i've played to be honest but i'm still really glad i played it and have experienced it like it felt almost like a, a history lesson as much as like oh i'm just going to play a game to enjoy it I, I can't say i just naturally enjoyed this game i thought a large parts of it were very frustrating i think it's a lot harder that like all f-zeros in my experience have rubber banding i think this one has the worst rubber banding um it's also just has some really really brutal tracks that f-zero like these the format is the same as the game of advanced games but the format is so brutal where like you have to finish top three otherwise you're eliminated hitting off the sides constantly the the pit the, like the pit lanes in this game are so short like you recover about a third of your power bar with each pit lane you go in and in the other games you you you're consistently getting half or like your whole power bar back in one so it's just really, really brutal. Uh, it is still enjoyable. Uh, I, I don't. We've talked numerous times about where F Zero goes in the future. What is going to happen? Like, is, is F Zero just going to merge with Mario Kart? What is what is the future of the series? And I look forward to what could possibly happen on Switch. But it it was fun to have a little history lesson and experience something I've been meaning to experience for a while. Uh, so yeah. 
That's, that's interesting that you bring up the difficulty because to me as someone who hasn't really played much f-zero when i came to the super nintendo game because i got it as part of the uh, 30th anniversary of um of the nes i think it was because uh, they did a sale where it was like 30 right. pence for all these games even though they included some super nintendo games um i played it and i was like yeah this is very hard but that's what i know f-zero is so from me uh, from a layman's perspective of not having played the series i just thought yeah this is just what these games are right and so it's interesting to hear you say that it actually is much more brutal and unforgiving than later entries in the series yeah not much more i think gx is still the hardest by a country mile right i mean that game is just you know is known generally as having massive balance issues so but compared to the Game Boy Advance games, I think the Game Boy Advance games have this learning curve that I went on and got much, much better at that game. Right. And I could make the game feel a lot more easy. Whereas this, I, I admit I didn't sink as many hours into this as I would have with the original Game Boy Advance games, but I didn't feel like I was getting better. Like, it was very turgid i feel like there's a very distinctive difficulty spike that happens in this game because from what i recall playing through it the first couple of races i was able to get through pretty okay like they were kind of like ramping up and the courses were not too harsh like there weren't too many tight turns and even if you did knock into the side you would be able to recover yourself Mm. and then i think it was the third race i hit where like multiple times in a row there would be this one corner that just destroys you if you make one mistake you're just bouncing off the two sides and you just blow up before you even know what's happened um and so i was playing on easy like i was just going through the easiest difficulty just trying to uh make my way and uh yeah by that point i was like i can't even finish this series of races um like it it basically stopped me short i mean i beat i beat all the all the gps on on beginner but i was struggling with them on standard and on Game Boy Advance, I was getting to Expert and Master on a lot of them. I, and, and I genuinely think that the Expert and Master of the Game Boy Advance games almost feel like the beginner and standard of this game. Like, it, wow. really, okay. it really felt like that. And I, I like the difficulty of F-Zero. I never want it to change from that. That is such a core cool part of the series because... What the, what does it, the game force you to do with that corner that you were talking about? It forces you to slow down, to slow, well, to slow <laughs> down, to, to get round at the right apex, to to do what you need to do to survive. And to be good at a racing game, essentially, it, it forces you to be good at a racing game, and I like that because it's 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 very snobby, but it's very it's very it's very like um, it's your wheelhouse, you know. Like, yeah, it's, it's brutal like. and it's great, and I I love the theme. I absolutely love the futuristic. Yeah theme to the whole thing um i i do think it's a really good looking super nintendo game as well like it mm. has that mode 7 is something that i think could have aged poorly but i actually think it's aged rather elegantly it it does it yeah is a deliberate trick of the eye but i do think it's still effective and it still gives you that sense of momentum and speed that uh, i guess it was designed to do so yeah and it almost had this strange renaissance with the game boy advance and things like that where almost yeah. all the driving games on that game use a similar um a similar system so yeah yeah, yeah we want more f-zero come back i mean please. you do i'll i'll be all right but <laughs> we'll see um MBZ. cool and, and that's what you've been playing then that says what lots of little niggly things but yeah little little bits and pieces what um, have you been up to 
Yeah, so, you know, I've been busy doing a lot of revision and stuff, so I haven't really dug deep into anything new or anything crazy. Uh, kept playing Persona 5. I'm now 75 hours deep into that game, so I've slowed down in terms of the number of hours I'm putting into it. Uh, but uh, it's still great. I'm still really enjoying it. The one thing I want to mention is... Um, tried out remote play uh on the pc because i saw someone on neogaf posting some screenshots and people were like how the hell did you get those screenshots because atlas with their fucking asinine policies have blocked all sharing functionality in persona 5 wow. um, so you can't stream it and you can't post any screenshots um and and the guy was like oh i was using the uh the pc by kind of streaming it to this uh, and then kind of taking the screenshots from there I'm like oh wait right because i know remote play is a thing on vita and I've tried that, and it's not been great. Um, and my PC, because it's wired up to Ethernet, it's not going through the Wi-Fi, I thought, hey, this might actually work out. So I downloaded the app. Um, it's very simple to use. Uh, all you need to do is bring your DualShock 4 to plug uh, into a USB slot on your PC, um, and it just sets it up for you. And I usually keep my PS4 in rest mode um, because it's just like the Switch where you just leave it sleeping, and as soon as you turn it on, you're right back into the game, uh, mm. which I think has been a game-changer on honestly and i think it's one of those features that not many people talk about discussing the ps4 but rest mode is amazing like it actually takes so much time that would be wasted if i were to usually be playing a game and cuts it out completely i think a lot of the barrier to entry i have with consoles when i want to sit down and play one is okay i've got to wait for this to boot up gotta open the thing gotta go into it it's gonna take time and then i'm into my game much later than i want to be one of the things i've loved about switch and the things i kind of like about handhelds is you can just pop them open and you're there much faster in my opinion um and so rest mode has just been fantastic for that but uh because it's in rest mode i can essentially turn it on from my pc uh so it activates and uh it just pops up in a small window um, and there is definitely issues with this stuff because it's streaming through the internet. You're not going to get great quality. So far, the frame rates haven't dipped too badly. And I think especially because Persona 5 is an RPG, it doesn't affect the game that much. Like, it's not to do with Twitch movement. Like, this isn't Horizon. If I was playing Horizon, there's no way I would stream it to my desktop because the input latency isn't bad, but it's noticeable enough to where I would be frustrated by, like, actual proper combat. Um, whereas in a you know a game like this you're just picking things from a menu uh, and you are running around dungeons and that kind of has some effect on on certain aspects but for the most part you aren't really engaging that like directly so it doesn't matter if hey the frame rate drops a couple times here and there but i think the biggest hit is the resolution and um i was running it in a smaller window so i didn't notice it as much if it's full screen it definitely you can see the distinctive drop down like it doesn't even look as good as like 720p or something it's it's a significant hit but as a convenience i found it really useful i've only done it the last couple of days but um i was previously going next door and like playing on the very small tv in there uh and uh and now i'm just like oh, i'll just sit here because i've got a dual monitor set up for the moment because uh, my mom bought a, a monitor for for herself and i'm kind of commandeering it at the moment to, to try out a, a dual screen uh, setup and it's amazing and i really love doing this with my pc now e3 is going to be fantastic because i can have a full screen of a conference and tweet deck on the other side so i can see Beautiful. everything people are saying as well as watching full screen so i'm i'm psyched about that but um but yeah it's uh it's been great i was watching 
watching the kind of funny morning show like on one monitor and had persona going on the other and because i'm going through a dungeon i'm not really paying attention to you know any story stuff it's very much like going through enemies and like figuring out light puzzles so it works to perfection and it's the sort of thing where if i went next door i mean i could put on a podcast and listen to that but it's not the same as having you know these two screens and sitting here in, in in a space that i kind of am more comfortable in uh so so yeah for for those purposes it's been pretty great and it's the sort of thing where when i get to a major story sequence or whatever i'm going to go to the actual tv because i want to see everything look nice but um as far as remote play goes i think there are certain games it works with and uh this is certainly one of them um and definitely helps me get through it because you know it's a lot of hours to put into to a game like this um uh, aside from that I jumped back into Titanfall 2 again. Um, yeah, it's one of those things, Bally. Yeah, I, uh, I, I said, like, when Titanfall 2 came out, because I remember I played a lot of Titanfall 1. I loved that game. That really, It was the game that kind of brought me into the fold with online, like, first-person shooters. Um, I still think the original is a fantastic game. But I think 2 is, like, I think it's been cemented as my favorite online game of all time. Um, you know, and that's discounting playing Smash Brothers against you because that's a very different kind of experience, Thank right? But if, if you're talking about just going into a lobby with random people and playing, there is nothing better than Titanfall 2, in my opinion. Mm. Um, it feels so fucking incredible to move, um, and I just love the fluidity of the combat. Um, and I wanted to just keep playing it because it's one of those things I think a lot of times we move on from games and we leave them behind and we don't go back and i'm like i I keep intending this year i was kept telling myself i need to go back to titanfall 2 i've got to go back because i want to see what they're doing with the updates there's still a decent player community on pc surprisingly like there was like 2,000 people on a couple nights ago and that was before they dropped the new dlc map that just came out um and i was like okay so this actually relatively healthy player base despite the fact that they put it out at a bad time and it it was up against battlefield and call of duty and it didn't sell particularly well it has a hardcore community who are really into it and i want to keep going back to it because it's definitely one of those things that uh the first titanfall i didn't regen in and what regening is is essentially um prestiging in call of duty which is where you hit level 50 and then you reset back to level one so that you can keep leveling up and getting i guess the dopamine hit of getting experience every time it's it's one of those things where by level 50 you have everything unlocked and it's like it doesn't like make much sense to go back to level one because you lose a lot of these things that you've got but if you're just playing a level 50 you're not getting that little hit of hey i'm i'm getting something for doing every match right um and you know it's it's the way they design these systems but i regened uh the other night and i'm like okay great back doing that i'm up to like level 10 on my second regen and then they just put out a new dlc map which um is really fucking cool i think it's one of the best maps they've done so far it has it's so uh, wall run oriented to the point where you could probably cross from one side to the other without touching the ground if you were smart about it. And that's incredible because the momentum you have when you kind of hit the wall running, get some speed up, go to the other one, jump between them. There are some really cool puzzles between uh, in the single camp- player campaign that uses that stuff. But having a map like that that really focuses on it, I thought was really smart. Uh, so I played a bit of that today. But um, yeah, I'm back in and I'm this is my podcast game for the moment because you know i'm trying to burn through some stuff uh and uh it has helped tremendously uh it's, it's one of those things where you would think that persona would be really good to have a podcast on the background for because it's just grinding through enemies sometimes 
but as a result of that system you know figuring out weaknesses and downing enemies and like knowing what to do and heal and doing buffs and debuffs you're actually focusing on the game enough to where i'm not actually hearing the podcast clearly whereas with titanfall it's enough of a twitch game that it's more your your fingers take over and your brain isn't really engaging in that way it's a very different style you know it's kind of like you know when i pick up my guitar and i play something it's all muscle memory essentially like i'm not actually thinking about playing the thing i'm playing my fingers are just acting because i've done it so many times and i think shooters kind of have that element to them where you're kind of you know you you can concentrate on something you can can satisfy one half of your brain with one action you're doing and the other half of your brain with another action you're doing exactly yeah yeah so um so so that's been great and uh i'm I'm really enjoying it so but yeah aside from that it's not not, nothing new right now i'm i I just want to finish persona 5 really and then i'll try uh moving on to something else i want to you know it's it's a big game gotta get mm, no i'm I got you a big backlog. Play shorter for a change. No, I will. I'll I'll find something on Steam probably that I'll, I'll bash through, or maybe I'll pick up a, I don't know a Switch eShop game because I've been quite yeah. A there's been a few recently. that have sort of floating around that had decent reviews. Yeah, I, I don't know. The one thing that's really putting me off with these Switch versions is uh, a lot of them are having frame rate issues. Yeah. Like Snake Pass apparently is bad uh, in terms of like the frame rate stuff mm. mr shifty i was looking to rfn and james, james jones, jones was like completely saying it's unplayable yeah which is awful and like if i have the option to play the pc version you know the portability is great on switch but i i'm sorry it's one of those things where frame rate matters a huge deal to me and if it's dropping every now and again that's okay but when it's this bad like no i can't i can't forgive that and they so. were making the argument on rfn that if you can update breath of the wild to not have frame rate issues and it's like this ridiculously huge open world game but then the games like snake pass are struggling you're just worried that like the developers just aren't optimizing it in the right way you know yeah um i i'm it may be like you know uh not breathing problems but you know um teething problems teething problems thank you <laughs> um you know the system is new and i guess developers i don't know how much time developers have had to work with the system right because nintendo were very late on announcing it and yeah. you know, there were some people who got dev kits late and just even software coming out now is just a little bit janky so i i do hope that their pipeline improves uh, over the next year or so um and that we don't get these bad versions because i would preferably play all these games on switch because of the portability but if there are drawbacks like that then it makes me think again uh so so we'll see uh but uh yeah i hope there's uh, some cool stuff coming out mario kart's coming out for most people who will who will eat that up but uh you know we've played that game so (laughs) it's gonna pass me by um but uh yeah there are there are things happening in the in the near future of switch so i'll keep an eye out and i'll keep you all posted but uh yeah that's basically going to wrap us up for the first segment don't go anywhere however because we are going to be back with some emails after the break see you in a bit
Hello everyone and welcome back to the show. It is part two and that means it is time for your listener emails. We always need more. We are running out. We say this all the time, but we kind of are running out this time. So We're kind of digging into the depths of the inbox right now. We're going back onto things that we missed a while ago. So, right. uh, some, so the, some fresh juice would help us out for sure. Exactly. We've got some, some old emails. Uh, but before I get into our first email, I must remind you of the address to send us new emails, which of course is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. Please send them in. So... Our first email is from Chaotix, who's from England. Hi, I'm Zed and Bally. I've recently been watching Go 8-Bit, a show where comedians attempt to play video games against each other. The show has its ups and downs, an expert who doesn't know the name of Sonic Spin Dash, and an obvious hole in the content of games being shown. We are five episodes in at this point, and there have been no Nintendo games played. There have been references to Nintendo franchises, franchises but none of their staple games the Wii has shown up for some of the games that have been played my discussion point why is this my theories number one nintendo has disallowed their content to be used the same way that they ban youtube videos for playing their games missing out on the free marketing when do you think this policy will change for nintendo and they realize it's advantageous for not making proper games this is a fallacy that several think even though there are several great games out there for nintendo as you know this relates to comedian routines from the host where Wii games don't count due to the casual nature of the Wii. However, mobile games have shown up on the show, such as Temple Run. When will society realize that Nintendo is still a gaming force to be reckoned with? Keep up the podcast and work on the YouTube channel, Chaotix from England. Well, uh, a charged email, perhaps, uh, <laughs> to, to be sure. Um, and I think uh, relevant that, you know, this is the UK and we can talk about that because I think there is definitely um, a perception thing that Nintendo has going on within our country of origin, uh, which is interesting. But clearly, Bally, I don't know if you've seen any of Go 8-Bit. I certainly haven't, but I know that it is hosted by Dara Breen, uh, who's a comedian who... Right. He also hosts the UK Video Game BAFTA Awards, um, and I think he generally does a, an okay job there. Uh, it's interesting because he's the kind of... He's a celebrity who knows about video games, but I wouldn't say he is, like, as... Right deepen them as some may imagine you know he probably you know gets sent stuff by press uh, mm. copies and things like that like kind of the level of maybe a jonathan ross or something because i know he's kind of into video games uh like jimmy fallon like a lot of these kind of uh tv show hosts who profess their love for it but you know they have uh, maybe a middling knowledge so i would i don't think that um or maybe mm. this this expert he mentions not knowing the name of sonic spin dash is someone else but uh yeah, I think Dara Breen is more there as, hey, he's a really good host and he's kind of tangentially related to games. So that's why he's attached. I have I think I've seen like a, an advert for, for this, this program I, and it was, I believe it's on Sky. Uh, so I don't know. It, Sky tends to get sort of lower views than obviously your mainstream channels in the UK, uh, especially sort of Sky 1, Sky 2, that sort of thing. So it's around there. I... I can just sort of imagine what this show, the way this show pans out, and I don't know. As as for like, do you think Nintendo uh-huh. are purposefully keeping their con their their games away from a show like this, or is it a decision by the producers? It's this is very weird because I think in previous things like this, I, so I remember, I don't know if you remember Bally, but there was this show, I believe it was on Sky back in the day when we were quite young. 
that was a video game based show where they had people on like uh you know kids or teenagers whatever applying to be on the show and it was like video game challenges and they would like have segments sometimes kind of review stuff like i for the life of me can't remember what it was called but it was this kind of like hey it's it's very much based around gamesville co- competition maybe i don't i don't remember but it was i watched that on sky that was pretty yeah fun. it was like these two kind of young guys i i recall it very vaguely but i do remember there being nintendo games on there from time to time i think they played like smash brothers i think they played mario kart double dash so i feel like this stuff has been allowed previously in shows it's obviously it has to do with licensing and they have to go to the copyright holder to be like hey we're gonna use this on television like i imagine it's probably even harder holes to jump through than even you know youtube stuff because it's the wild west on the internet but uh i I don't feel like it's necessarily something that Nintendo would go, go out of their way to ban because th- that honestly feels like, hey, we're just going to say no to this marketing opportunity. But then you look at it from Nintendo's perspective and they a lot of time make these weird decisions where you're like, well, obviously other companies would make this decision to promote their brand, but they're not. Um, so it's it's one that I can't really with certainty say. And, you know, this email was sent a while ago, so the, sh- the program has had episodes since then. So maybe they have shown Nintendo games by this point. I'm I'm not up to date, so I couldn't really comment. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, I like this versus YouTube. It's hard to, it's hard to say, but it's really, it's definitely easy to say popular Nintendo are in the UK. And arguably, like, stigmas against Nintendo are often strongest in the UK. Uh, and we've mentioned this a number of times on the show before, but but this idea that you're you're right, Chaotix, where it's this idea that, that Nintendo don't make proper games, like that there are these these big open world games that Nintendo decide, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're just going to do our two dimensional platformers, which take less money, less time, and new developers. Yeah, totally. Describe it as, and it's simply not true. Like we, Breath of the Wild just came out. It's like one of the most in-depth open world games ever. So, it, it's 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 a, it's a. I I think at this point in time, especially, so there, there are different eras of Nintendo in the UK where I think you can kind of trace a version of a stigma that kind of is a through line. So back in the day, obviously, you know, with NES Super Nintendo, Nintendo didn't do that well in the European market. Maybe they probably did well in other European countries, but in, in the UK, the competition between Sony later on and then obviously earlier with Sega was a lot harder for them. So they didn't have a stronger foothold in the market, say the NES did in North America, which led to less kids being exposed to Nintendo at a young age. I think Honestly, if the Game Boy hadn't existed, I don't know that we would have been exposed to Nintendo back then, right? Because Pokemon was really kind of, um, I think that was the one thing that allowed them to break through somewhat into that market was having the handheld space to themselves and being able to leverage this television show with Pokemon and, and these card game things going on. Like, the way I really got into games was via Pokemon as a medium, um and so i think that was kind of uh their their way through there but even then like you look at something like pokemon and it is viewed as incredibly childish and for a younger audience and and that is a stigma that i think they carried on throughout later generations you take a look at the gamecube versus the ps2 and most people owned a ps2 and i think a lot of the reason was you looked at the gamecube lineup and it had a kiddie image to it like mario was very colorful and wind waker was very cartoonish it was not kind of um the 
the stuff you're seeing like grand theft auto on these other platforms and as a result nintendo had to pick up you know this perception that they were for a young crowd for people who didn't really engage with games deeply like that it, it was one of those things that continued on through the wii because of the casual nature of it and obviously the wii u was such a failure that no one really even knew what it was let alone um you know gave it the time of day so i think from that gamecube generation onwards in that those three consoles it has been a progression from hey we're a child's toy to hey we're for casual people who don't really cares about to hey no one even knows we exist right so it's been i feel this weird downward trend over time and therefore the uk has kind of paid less attention to them it should i mean it should do on paper but it's easy to say a system should sell when it might not sell and in the grand scheme of things the uk is not really the biggest market that nintendo needs to worry about when you compare it to japan the rest of europe and obviously north america so it's it's not it's not like when will society <laughs> realize that nintendo's a force to be reckoned with it's it's kind of how does nintendo market themselves where they move away from arguably being a, a more kiddie image or a, certainly under the wii era a more casual image which was the entire image of the wii that made it sell so well and kind of made it clash so much with the wii u when you think about how little the wii u as a system just appeals to a casual market yeah it's um it's definitely i think when you look at the switch promotion stuff and especially the very first trailer it's kind of trying to unleash the shackles on that stuff and focus on an older audience uh, creating a product that is much sleeker more kind of modern looking and i wonder how that does uh, i think the, the the switch has sold double what the wii u did in its opening week in, in the uk which i think that was that went from like forty thousand to eighty thousand which you know in the grand scheme of things not too significant but um maybe it tells us something i'm not sure if it tells us anything honestly because we need to wait and and see how it goes but I don't know. It's a weird space that Nintendo find themselves in because I think, you know, people paint them as this company who make games for younger people, but then you have people coming around in their late 20s when they have nostalgia hit them. Like, oh, yeah, I really like Mario Kart. And then the new Mario Kart comes out and they jump on board. So uh, this show, I don't... It's called Go 8-Bit. I don't know how much of a focus they have on retro games. Seemingly not a huge amount if they're showing mobile games on the show uh, and they have, like, other stuff going on. But... um, I think that if we're talking about like kind of modern Nintendo, either people don't know about the Wii U or kind of not engaged, right. and um, and so they're not really going to use those games on on the show. And uh, yeah, the other reasons with Nintendo not really being that big in the UK also makes sense. Um, and I, even in this email, he mentions like Sonic Spin Dash. Like Sonic is probably well, probably, I, I doubt it actually. Sonic's not more well known than Mario is, but you know, um, I feel Sonic has. He maybe... might be in the UK. No, I don't think he is. I honestly don't. I think Mario is too big of a brand worldwide for that to to change at this point. Um, but he's he's certainly relatively successful here. I think um, so. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's it's one of those things where I, I I see these things happening where they try and put video games on television, and I think no, 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 no. What are you doing? You're going backwards. Like, and it's absolutely the case that video games live in the medium of the internet, and that's why Jeff Keighley made his show a Twitch live stream. He broke away from G4. He got out of Spike TV. He didn't want to deal with the corporate advertorial, all this bollocks that. I mean, he still has that on his show because he needs to make a lot of money to make it. But I feel it's maybe a little less obnoxious than it used to be. And 
you know, when the companies start going and being like, oh, we need to get the kids watching TV again. We've got to do these video games. It's like, kids don't watch TV anymore. So you're kind of trying a dead market. I'm, I would almost... I would almost argue that a title like Go 8-Bit, they're trying to appeal to an audience that sure. went 8-Bit and that they're now in their sort of 40s, 50s, etc. Who would be... I guess the kind of audience that's still watching television. Right, exactly. More likely to watch TV. And I think you're right. The, the games media know, Jeff Keighley knows that like the vast majority of people playing the vast majority of video games are in their 20s and 30s right now. And for those reasons, it's all accessible online yeah. and not nothing to do with the television which is good because we like that we don't like tv we like we like viewing stuff online. we're a podcast we thrive by being on the internet so <laughs> exactly that like that's another very good maybe thing. slightly biased so but, you know slightly biased our next email is from ricardo who's from the internet hello mbz and bali i have the feeling that nvidia and nintendo's partnership will go a little further than just providing the tegra x2 i think that geforce now or the nintendo version of it will be available for the switch this will ensure that no matter the graphical power of the switch current and future gen games will be available on the console via streaming i currently own a shield tablet that is capable of using geforce now and let me tell you if you have the internet speeds and wi-fi requirements games play as smooth and beautiful on my 299 dollar tablet as in my $1,500 custom-built PC. What do you guys think? Will Nintendo ever consider incorporating a monthly subscription platform like GeForce Now? Love the show. Sincerely, Ricardo. Uh, so, uh, again, maybe something that we need to correct here because this email is a little old. Uh, the Tegra X2 is not what is used in the Switch. It's the Tegra X1, um, which is a weaker version of that chip. But uh, I thought I'd just point that out because people are probably going to be like, ah, it's uh, out-of-date information, but there you go. Um, yeah, so this is an interesting question because I think uh, the last couple of days there was a thread popping up on NeoGAF and, and Reddit and places like that about this guy who is currently working on um, an application which would be available on consoles, probably through internet browsers, uh, and on the Switch, accordingly uh, to him, uh, through the eShop, which would essentially allow you to stream PC games uh, from your computer directly to the Switch. Now, uh, everyone in that thread and a lot of people online are saying Nintendo is in no way in hell going to allow this to happen, because um, especially if you have something like, say, Mr. Shifty, which is available on Switch, on the eShop, or it's available on Steam, you know, if you have the internet speed requirements, why wouldn't you get the Steam version? Because it runs at 60 frames per second. It doesn't have these frame drops that the Switch version is supposedly having. Uh, and if it is a you know a decent way to play it, that would compromise compromise Nintendo and their kind of um, you know their bottom line. Um, but then you can also say, well, hey, you know, how many people actually own a big powerful PC and how many people have the internet speeds required to stream all this stuff? It does it matter that much? But honestly, I think. Um, as cool as that idea is, it's very likely going to get shut down and uh, Nintendo are not going to be able to um, you know, allow things like that on their platform. If they were to do it, they would do it through their own means and it would be through their own system. And I doubt right. they'd allow PC games to be streamed on the Switch. But I don't know. This guy seems to think that he can get a version on the eShop and I don't know 
it, you know, you look at the eShop and there are some games on Wii U which are like, how the fuck did this get past approval? Like, it's, it's this stupid shit like Meme Run, which is literally just like JPEGs thrown into a shitty runner game that is like, you would imagine a Flash game would be better than it, but it happens. So, right. uh, and I think this is weird that it's been brought to Nintendo's attention a bit more by this guy kind of publicly announcing it, whereas if he hadn't said anything, you maybe would have gotten it through. Um, so maybe they're kind of more on the lookout now. Um, I'm not sure, but uh, I think the app is called Rainway. So if you're interested in looking stuff up about it, uh, that's happening. But I don't know, Bally, how, how do you feel about this notion of streaming stuff from one thing to another? Do you think it's a possibility for games in the future? Do you think Nintendo could use it at some point? I think it absolutely is a possibility in the future. It's feeling like it's a, one of those arguments where Nintendo would be last to the party on something like this because this benefits far more from having higher technology, investing more in the technology within the system. And in the same way that you can argue VR has developed, Nintendo almost lasted the party on VR in the same way I could imagine they would be last of the party on something like this. Having said that, you're right, because ultimately the Wii U is streaming between, like, uh, and it's using very different technology. I right. don't even know how to describe it, but it's not it's not wireless, obviously. It's, it's using technology that is streaming between the Wii U box and the gamepad, and it, there's very few things in the market now or then that, that are like the Wii U gamepad in that sense. So I think that Nintendo would like to do something using that technology, but ultimately the evolution of that te- technology was the Switch. So it's difficult where they can see themselves fit into this sort of conundrum yeah and it's also they don't like to play with others right they are very much a closed ecosystem and so i can't imagine and it's weird actually because the the switch pro controller actually does work on pcs pretty well but i think that's just a a case of it being bluetooth enabled so it's probably easy for you to just hook that up but generally nintendo hardware it doesn't like to play with other stuff you know you don't want to um have any kind of interconnection like you do and i mean microsoft have incentive to do this but the whole play anywhere thing with with xbox is hey you buy it on xbox one you get it on pc as well and that's interesting because i think microsoft have identified that these are two different markets they're serving and they're not going to compete with one another and i actually think that you know, most people who own a gaming PC, they're more likely to own a Nintendo Switch than they are an Xbox or a PlayStation because, first of all, it gives you something completely different with the portability. Uh, and second of all, Nintendo have a much wider variety and stronger lineup of first-party titles than the, their other two competitors do. So if you're playing all your third-party stuff on PC, you're generally going to be um, complementing it with a Nintendo product, right? Um, and so I, I don't know if there is any any loss that Nintendo have from, you know, engaging with the P- PC space in, in some way, um, because it could maybe lead to more people wanting to buy a Switch. Like, for example, someone who is a core PC gamer and decides, hey, I want a way to play my games portably. Well, if you buy the Nintendo Switch, you can stream all your games there, but also you get access to this amazing lineup of first-party titles. Like, they could leverage that it in that way. I don't think they're smart enough to do that, but, you know, th- there's a possibility... Uh, for it in there um so yeah it's it's interesting and i think it needs to be done right because when it's not done right it can be an experience that is not worth the hassle to do so for example 
I've been playing a lot of Persona 5, and the TV is at a uh, cost at the moment because, you know, family are using it. I can get in there sometimes. I can't sometimes. So I tried to use my PlayStation Vita as a proxy by which to play Persona 5 through the Remote Play app. And what I found is that my Wi-Fi is not strong enough. It's either my Wi-Fi is not strong enough or the connection and the, the Wi-Fi chips from the Vita and the PS4 are not in themselves powerful enough to push it out and give it to me without any kind of lag or any kind of loss in the image quality. There's always going to be a sacrifice on that end, which means that you're getting a suboptimal experience. Um, and so I think ultimately, if this technology is going to go forward and work, it needs to be iterated on and be improved upon. And, you know, I don't know how good these these GeForce NVIDIA shields are, and I don't think they're even selling them anymore in the, in that old version, which was essentially what the Nintendo Switch is. But, you know, not not really, you know, it's just a, a streaming device that, that connects to your PC. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, you know, how, how good that stuff looks, comparative, um, but it's a possibility for the future. And I think we're going to reach a point where the internet is ubiquitous enough and fast enough maybe we'll see i don't know all these fucking corporations interests and everything get muddled into the mix especially in north america where you have all these like very few companies that own all the internet and can leverage that exactly. in a horrible way uh but i i hope we get to a point where the internet you know becomes um a entity that can be used to just do this because there's it's likely that in the future how you know netflix has become the de facto way that people watch movies and uh, streaming services uh, are just by nature now the largest part of that industry everything's going to go that way and eventually we're not going to all have to have massive desktop pcs we're all going to have like these very slim line things that we can just pop out and play anything just through the internet um you know that's very lofty and very far away but that's where it's going i think so anyway i think i just kind of got off course there i I mean whenever you talk about the future and these sort of grand ideas uh you realize how far there is to go and i think one very immediate way in which i thought there was a long way to go is it was when i put on uh playstation vr and i realized this is very expensive for a very grainy uh, experience yeah. and the, the sort of cost versus experience analysis of something like VR, there's a long way to go. And you're right. People need to be connected online. They have to have high-speed internet. Uh, costs of stuff like chips, lithium batteries, these sorts of things obviously always keep falling. And you just compare the gamepad of the Wii U to something like the Switch and you're already thinking, wow, like costs are getting cheaper and technology is getting smaller. So... I don't mean to sound like like an old dad saying, "Oh, technology is always getting smaller." Because back in my day, the Game Boy was from. the size of my my I don't know my, my radio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, um, lots of speculation, but um, I don't know. I I think that we'll we'll see how Nintendo does. I I'm very curious about this app and whether it gets on or not. I highly doubt it will, but if it does. I'm going to be singing hallelujah because that's something that I really would love. Like, I think part of the reason the PC is something a lot of people get backlogged on is because the PC is used for so many things. And I use mine for watching videos and editing and all this other stuff. Playing games on it is great and it is the best way to play games, I think, modern day. But it's also an inconvenient way to play games. The Switch is, for me, the most convenient, like just having it in my hand. Mm. So if I were to be able to stream all these great indies to my Switch... Uh, that'd be great because I have like fucking hundreds of them on Steam that are unplayed right now. Um, 
Right. We'll see. So our final question this week is from James, who's from the internet. One of the issues making a Metroid has is that has is that it has an ongoing story and timeline and thus specific points they can fill. Really, given the manga is canon, the only place left are post-Federation Force, which would be Metroid Prime 4, and post-Fusion, which would presumably be the 2D game. Fusion leaves us with a clear next step in the outro that Samus is court-martialed, giving two distinct possibilities. One, Samus is a fugitive, or two, Samus is being punished and probably imprisoned. The next logical step of the story is also Samus dealing with the corruption within the Federation that greenlit the research done in Fusion. Essentially, what I'm saying is that the next 2D Metroid will deal heavily with the Federation, thus explaining Federation forces' existence to cement their presence, and probably some form of escape and evasion. Either she's on the run or an escaped prisoner, which actually allows a sense of isolation even on an inhabited planet. As such, it seems pretty clear to me that the next 2D Metroid must have some form of stealth mechanic. Do you think such a thing would be innovative enough to stand out? And moreover, do you think it would be a positive step in the series? I think there are several existing power-ups that could be used for interesting stealth sections, uh, using bombs as a distraction, the spider ball to avoid lines of sight, or even ZSS's paralyzer. Zero. Good point, Emmys. I should have got that. Zero Suit Samus's paralyzer possibly retrofitted into a paralyzer beam. And of course, the wave beam to paralyze guards that can't even see you. But would also open up a number of new power-up options to surprise people. Silent and EMP bombs. Uh, maybe some way of turning off lights. And of course, some sort of chameleon suit upgrade for the end game when you're meant to feel really powerful. I also think it could add... In, in ways to the tension in the exploration, giving very open areas with soft bars in terms of surveillance. But equally, I don't know how well they'd be able to balance it with the fast-paced action the series enjoys. What are your thoughts, James, from the internet? Oh boy, a lot of speculation going on here. He, he goes deep uh, in, yeah. into this stuff. This is really, <laughs> he really has like thought out an imagination that can just take a take a theory that that you know a game developer just loves yeah no totally um so one thing i'm going to say up front is the notion that they have to stick to a timeline is just not a thing that nintendo think about um i, I know that there is a timeline for metroid and that it has some kind of uh, you know sketched together way it's not it's not as sketched together as zelda is zelda is just kind of like well, we just kind of made this up and we're going on the fly. Like, I think Metroid actually has a more cohesive timeline to it. But, uh, you know, the way Nintendo operate is they go for mechanics first and then they figure out a way to forge in a story. So I I don't think that there are kind of limited steps that they have to force themselves down in order to create a new game in the Metroid franchise. Uh, that said, I, I think that this is a cool idea. The, the notion of having stealth as a focus in the series... Um, would be interesting. I think, uh, you know, we've talked before in the past how stealth has never been a true focus of any Nintendo games, where they, they use it throughout a lot of their franchises. Um, I know, Bally, you weren't a big fan of the kind of uh, Escape Zero Suit Samus segment at the end of Zero Mission. Um, how do you feel about them potentially taking this as a core element in a new 2D Metroid? I like I like the idea. I just think it needs to be done well. Right. I I because I'd ha- read a lot of reviewers who liked and praised that that section at the end of Zero Mission, and I just thought it. And I said this at the time when we did our um, our backlog club, but essentially I thought it was more hit and run than stealth. Sure, in the sense that uh, 
I think there were things about that that could have been better. But do I have like do I have faith in Nintendo or whoever it t- would take the next Metroid project on in making a better stealth, even two dimensional experience? Absolutely. Like I, I would always have faith that that something like that can be improved. And I think the 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 suggestions James has made with all the weapons and paralyzer beams and things like this, spider ball to avoid line of sights. That, that these are all fantastic ideas and like the the metroid universe is very impressive in taking you know like an alien like uh world and running up going crazy with all these crazy weapons that do all these different things and that's where merging the that craziness with a stealth game would be really great because so far we've seen like we've done a lot of isolation so it, it, 2d and 3d is a lot of isolation a lot of exploring a lot of puzzle solving but at the same time there's sort of a lot of big bosses they're a huge part of metroid but a more more of an emphasis on isolation in relation to stealth is is interesting and i like the idea that james had where you can feel very isolated in a busy city when the idea is to stay hidden from those people mm. or, or that population like that that's an interesting idea that you could really do a lot of interesting story stuff with uh to do with metroid yeah for sure i it's one of those things where you have these elements in other metroid games like so this kind of survival horror element from fusion where the sax is tracking you and you have to either run from it or hide from it in certain scenarios and that stuff is terrifying because the sax is just a monster that will annihilate you in like two hits if you let it um and then obviously the stealth sections in zero mission and um, I don't think the Prime games really get to that sort of stuff because in a 3D game, it's much harder to, um, you know, conjure those those sort of feelings. I think there are a lot of 3D stealth games out there, and I've never really been one to be interested in those because for me, I think there are some that do it well. Like Metal Gear Solid Five does it incredibly well because it gives you all this information you need and it allows you to do your job of stealth uh, without intervening and without kind of doing a fuck you and kind of you know getting you um in a cheap way i think and that's, that's one of the things i don't like about some stealth games they don't really uh display the information allow you to get through things um through your own skill it just kind of fucks you up sometimes but that said like if you take those elements and boil them down into a more of a focus on that as a main part of the game uh it could be very interesting and I always talk about, and I always try to evangelize this game wherever I can, Mark of the Ninja, amazing 2D stealth game. And one of the things that I love about it is that it very clearly indicates to you, here are where the people are, here are their lines of sight, here's where you're going to be completely hidden, here's a place where you're maybe in danger, you have a lot of tools in your arsenal. And the one thing about that game is it's a level-based game, right? So you're going uh, you know, through these multiple areas and you're uh, figuring out the way to get past everyone. I would love to see that kind of design approached with a Metroid-like map uh, implemented. Because along the way, you know, you get your upgrades and you become stronger. And maybe the whole idea of it is the inverse of Zero Mission, where in that game, like you, you build up, uh, you get more powerful, and then they depower you. Whereas in this one, you'd start very depowered and, you know, I think, I don't know how many stealth games there are where 
you have that progression from stealth to full action where you can kind of go out there and be crazy without dying uh, super easily but there's a potential for that uh, and it kind of fits into the metroid idea of samus get stronger throughout the game i don't know it's um exactly. it's possible but uh i i'd also like to see maybe if they just kept the stealth going the whole time and 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 you know leverage more challenging situations with more enemies and and that kind of stuff but um i you know i'm i'm someone who has been hankering for a new 2d metroid for so many years you know and uh anything they give me honestly i'll take so um if they if they try to innovate a little bit and and maybe um you know take this idea on board then i'm all for it um because it's hard i think I, I think nintendo have this problem of what do we do with the next metroid and this is a potential way to address that um so yeah i hope we'll, we'll I, get I guess we'll find that at e3 yeah exactly <laughs> absolutely it's guaranteed Fing- fingers crossed. guaranteed it has to be there <laughs> it's metroid it's guaranteed oh, boy. how could you possibly doubt it yeah uh, so yeah, uh, that wrap us up for the email segment then, I guess, Bali. I think so. Yeah, that 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 uh, it's just it's always depressing talking about two D Metroid, isn't it? It kind of leaves you on the down. It's when never you think, depressing, oh, Bali. Yeah. It just makes me happy. They've not done that in a while. Two D Metroid. Yeah, I love yeah. talking about it, but then the realization hits, and <laughs> then it sets in. Yeah. Oh god. Uh, then it, it's a low low. Yeah. It's a low low low. Um. But yeah, that is all we've got time for in terms of your emails this episode. Of course, the email address is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. We, like we said at the top of the segment, we would love some more emails. That's all we've got time for. I will, well, we, I should say. I'm not just taking Oh, jeez, Bally. It's going to be the Bally show for the we, next segment. <laughs> it's the Bally show. So we will see you after the break. Don't go anywhere for part three. everyone welcome back to the third and final part of the show this week and chatting a little bit about that nes that super nes and uh some of our feelings uh, about those mini consoles and about a potential new mini console uh so bali we're going to lead things off with an email which you have right there we have a f- email from friend of the show fizz who's from california and uh, this email is quite old so he's referencing some some stuff from a while ago some um, beef some, he's got some beef, let's put it that way. 
This last podcast made me furious. While MBZ claimed Mario 3 was a good game, he really took a crap on it and claimed it throws out giant fuck yous. This isn't what made me mad, but it was when hearing this I got a flashback to Tropical Freeze, and it's the exact same thing I felt playing that game. Couldn't get momentum, and it taught you to beat the level by killing you first, and that's how it seemed to produce difficulty. The only thing that made me more furious than that, than that was... That Simpsons Hit and Run made you a list of 30 GameCube games you'd put on a collection. Come on, that game was dreadful. But really, I jest. Before that segment, I thought of this question, and it's kind of in the same vein as the GameCube collection. But since you two are void of any nostalgia for the 8 and 16-bit eras, I would love to hear a list of top 20 from those combined eras, meaning NES and SNES. At this point, I'm not sure you could make it to 20 games you two actually like, but give it a while. Despite our constant differing opinions on classic games, I love you two a whole bunch and would love love to come back on the show anytime. Thanks, boys. Fizz from California. Of course, the invitation is always extended to come back on the show and to, to rake us over the coals for our various opinions. Uh, so thanks, Fizz. Uh, uh, yeah, let's dig into this a little bit because... It, something that I struggled with at the time when playing Mario 3 was trying to express why. Why did I not like it? What was it that was annoying me and, and not making me believe that this is a all-time great game? Um, and I think the th- one thing I came down to was surprise. I think that's the thing that kind of clutched it for me, was I think about that game, and a lot of it is it's very visually similar and uh, a lot of things are concepts that are built upon later that just become more and more complex so you'll have like airship levels which then later just become the same thing they look the same but they're harder they have more things thrown in them they're much more difficult um and ultimately i think my favorite world in mario 3 was world 4 which is kind of the big small thing it's the same thing you have in mario 64 where you have a big tiny island um but it's you know mario is tiny and these enemies are massive and that was a surprise to some degree because you know i haven't really played through this game before I've, i think i'd heard of that section in the past but it was one of those moments where i was like oh this is cool and it's neat and it's doing something different and ultimately i didn't feel like the rest of the game gave me that injection of something that surprised me and took me aback right like i just thought it was improving not improving but like um kind of building on the concepts that had come before and the difference i have with that and tropical freeze which i agree to some degree with fizz that yeah tropical freeze has a particular fuck you design the thing with tropical freeze is you know it obviously has modern conveniences like you don't have to get sent back to these older worlds if you die and uh, you have multiple lives that you can take advantage of you can buy lives if you want um you have like four hits potentially between diddy or dixie and and Donkey Kong himself i don't think the game necessarily tricks you like mario 3 does uh, yeah, I think it actually does a better job with level design of foreshadowing things, although I may be uh, raked over the coals for saying that, because, you know, there's probably stuff in Mario 3 that is incredibly smart as well, and, you know, I would be remiss to uh, to, to say that, but uh, the thing with that game that impressed me was uh, it is so diverse in its look and its theming, and obviously Mario 3 can't go that far because it's an 8-bit game and it can only work with so much. And I guess, you know, for the NES, it does its best to do that. But uh, yeah, just as someone playing it in 2016 when I did, 
it doesn't have the same joy and surprise that I imagine it did back in the day. Um, and I, you know, I look at other older games and I do see that stuff happening. I think Mega Man within any of those games has a bunch more visual diversity and kind of um, ideas about level design that don't stay too long kind of um, you know it's obviously a much shorter game but you know they get them in they get them out um, I think there is you know visual diversity there uh, you know even moving on to the 16-bit era I think something like Earthbound is incredibly surprising and joyous on so many occasions and part of the reason i loved that game so much was because it was so crazy and weird and different and always threw something new at you and so ultimately i think it came down to mario 3 just kept giving me the same thing and it just kept getting harder which made me frustrated whereas there are other games where i think it diversifies to the point of giving me the joy of discovery and surprise i think maybe we can you know even nail that down to breath of the wild which is built around the idea of discovery and surprise um i think that's a strong point of video games that i don't necessarily think mario 3 for me personally hit so so i think i i've been thinking about this a lot over the last you know since i played the game bally but i feel like i yeah, may have nailed it, it down um so. i mean i i've i have similar feelings about mario world that have been discussed i'm i'm very lot. curious to play mario world because i think from what I've heard about that game and from what I've seen in Mario Maker, which is probably not a fair comparison, uh, that there probably is more visual diversity and surprises in Mario World. And especially being on the Super Nintendo, it will likely have a better thing to work with when it comes to I that. I think there might be, but there is a lot of things in that game I wasn't a fan of, including the obvious you die, you get a game where you get sent back worlds yeah. and stuff that is just unforgivable. I just cannot sure. get my head around that stuff. Um but it's just there's some very frustrating things about that game where I and I said that at the time I just like my 2D platformers to be level based you get from the start level to the end of level and you can save at the start and the end of level something like Yoshi's Island I think that's a great game uh, and this game just does not have that yeah uh you know well we'll get to it when I play it but in any case, uh, yeah, thanks, Fizz, for the email. And we're going to kind of use it as a jumping point to build a list of 20 NES slash SNES games if we can. Uh, and we'll see. We're taking uh, up his challenge. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see. If he doesn't we, think we can get to 20. I don't know if we can. I <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, uh, but before we do that, Bal, let's uh, kind of talk quickly about sure. um, some new stuff. Because uh, Nintendo recently announced that they were discontinuing the nes classic uh and there are also rumors uh from sources such as Eurogamer that there will be a super nintendo classic by the end of the year as well how do you feel about all this stuff it's uh i feel like it's been a bit of a pr nightmare uh, on nintendo's end quite honestly yeah it kind of has been because the the i can't remember the reasoning they gave for discontinuing the nes classic it was it, I, I remember someone mentioning it it was some sort of press statement that said something very inept and inappropriate it was like we understand that people have had a hard time finding these also by the way we're not doing them anymore so good luck finding <laughs> we're gonna the help last you ones. in your struggle to find them by not doing them anymore so it's, yeah. it, it's like i don't know i when i was in new york at the nintendo new york store and they had one on display and i'd not seen one before and i sort of thought that looks really great. I might, I'd be, I'd be tempted, but 
ultimately there's not there's not really enough NES games I'm massively into to warrant buying something like that. But then we talked about this at the time when the NES Classic was announced and came out, and we thought, oh, but what if they did a, a SNES one? And like these rumors, like we're about to get it, we're about to talk about a number of SNES games we're very excited that we love. The prospect of a SNES classic, just a box with all those great games on it, like really appeals to me, like hugely. It appeals to me a lot more, uh, not only because I think the quality of the games on the Super Nintendo is generally higher, but also because there are significant ones which I don't have a good way to play right now, and I would like for it to be included in something like that. Um, And I, I wonder about the price if... They're going to increase it because the value of Super Nintendo games, they might hold higher. Or if they will just reduce the number of games, say put 15 games as opposed to 30. Um, Because obviously like a value judgment when you have something that is long and epic, like a Chrono Trigger versus Balloon Fight, for example, like there is a big distinction there. Uh, I mean, even on the NES, you had the distinction between like Zelda and and Final Fantasy and other kind of small games that didn't have as much to them. But I think the Super Nintendo kind of takes that up another step to some degree. So, yeah, I uh, I would be down for one. But um, here's the weird thing: is like how what kind of um, position are Nintendo gonna be in for the holidays? having the Switch, and having the Super Nintendo Classic. I don't know, the message is going to be a little weird. They might be trying to launch a virtual console on Switch at the same time. I I feel like the virtual console comes before then, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Um, it it needs to, I agree, but whatever way you cut it, there's some sort of clash between Super Nintendo games coming out on Switch and some sort of SNES Classic, like surely that... There's a way that they can actually maybe solve this to some degree, which I don't know if they'd be up for, but if they put out this Super Nintendo Classic and they can't meet demand, you know, there's going to be people not getting them, they could do something which alleviates that in the sense of what if they put out those exact same games as a bundle on Switch, either on a cartridge or you can download them from the virtual console, but give you the same package of games but on the Switch as opposed to on this mini Super Nintendo. It's nice. It's nice, but come on, like half the appeal of the the NES Classic was the box and controller itself. And that for many people buying that system, they had already played, experienced, or even re-downloaded many of those games on platforms like the Wii U and the Wii. And it was just a case of, it's a really nice sort of gift I don't know, Christmas gift, birthday gift that is in one package with that that actual tangible mini NES and a, a controller. Like that's that that's the appeal partly to me for something like the the SNES Classic would be something something like that. Like not necessarily the fact that because I already have access to all these games in some way, shape, or form. So you know, it's that it's that that tangible collector in me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's not really worked with Amiibo, but no, <laughs> they're not, not really but... tangible. I mean, they're tangible, but they're you know, tangible. they don't really have any kind of benefit. Yeah, I uh, I, I guess, but I, I feel like I'm coming from the perspective of the Switch as a machine with classic games on it sounds much more appealing to me uh, than the Wii U did because of that 
beautiful screen and the idea of taking it everywhere and the 3ds can obviously do that with some titles but it was limited to the degree that you can only get super nintendo games if you have a new 3ds right so like the ability to have this grand library of fantastic games on the switch i think is still appealing to a lot of people in the same way that the super nintendo classic is yeah and i i I mean i would Having having said what I said, I would still prefer it on the Switch. Like I'd still wrap up, take take that bundle if it came, like you mentioned. Yeah, I I would much rather not buy the Super Nintendo Classic and just buy a bundle of all those games on Switch if it were the same price, right? Like that's what I would yeah. do. So that's why I think it's potentially a smart idea because they could catch a lot of people that way and maybe not have as many people annoyed by the fact they couldn't get this little box, right? So. And like I've already got loads of Super Nintendo games on my Wii U. I just want to be able to transfer them, please. Yeah, God, please talk about that soon. Please, please. tell us there's a way. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, dear. But MBZ, we have been challenged. Yeah, we've been challenged. Gauntlet's been thrown down. Um, got to make a list 20, of 20 NES. 20 NES and SNES slash, games that we've played yeah. and enjoyed. And enjoyed. This is a key component. And so enjoyed. I am banning. I'm banning Mario Three. Yeah. I enjoyed Mario Three, but I think the history of the podcast would be kind of. Uh, and we're banning not Super Mario World. It. Yeah, we're banning Super Mario World because both of us have been like, mm, don't like that, and not not found that. So uh, I th- I think if we really talked about it, we would both say we enjoyed those games. Right. Like I think they're good games, but also the, the reason this, this question, the reason this list exists, is because right. of our uh, divergent. I think pe- history opinions. history claims those two games to be in the the uppermost tier, uppermost echelon of classic games. They are just like these untouchable things that are great, and yeah. we just. Do not share that opinion. We just think they're kind of okay. They're, they're okay. <laughs> I think that they're fun. They're okay. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't great. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So let's go. What's the first So let's game? kick this list off then with the original Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, you know, I actually kind of enjoyed playing through the original Super Mario Brothers. It's, um, it's not the greatest thing in the world. It's incredibly simple, but it is the foundation for a lot of video games to come. And... Um, yeah, I don't know. There was something about it that didn't really frustrate me. Um, it doesn't have the weird difficulty spikes that Mario 3 had. And uh, it was just kind of... It was a curious thing to, to go into. And I kind of was like, oh, okay, this is this is kind of fun. You played the Game Boy Color version of it, didn't you? Yeah, Super Mario Bros. Deluxe. I yeah, I believe so. It came out free on some sort of 3DS. It was something. weird. It was some celebration of something. Nintendo's always celebrating something. So it was... Yeah, obviously. What was it? I can't even remember, but yeah, we all got no free and I played that and I enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's one on the list. Uh, then let's go uh, to Earthbound because we've got to have Earthbound. I think Earthbound might be my... Oh, God, it's, it's hard between Earthbound and Chrono Trigger, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that it's it's in the top echelon. I, I think Earthbound is better than Super Metroid and um, Link to the Past, which are the two kind of other classic super mm. nintendo games um i don't know how you feel about that Bally, it's tight for, for me, me i i really enjoy I, i'd put super metroid above link to the past personally um it's tight between super metroid and earthbound for me uh but mm. i mean we talked about this game with our third backlog club last year yeah. and wow that was an experience and i'd highly recommend going back and checking out that episode if uh you're perhaps a new listener to the show because if you have not experienced earthbound it is quite something uh and it was something we'd been meaning to do for a very long time and yeah totally the time just became right and 
I spent one day playing something crazy like 12 to 14 hours of that game and it was absolutely Jesus. insane. Um, and I agree, I admit I was kind of trying to catch up with the MEZ to, with timings for the Backlog Club, etc. But it was still really enjoyable. and It's it's a compelling enough game to warrant that. You know? Yeah. it's so. You want to know what's going to happen next and where you're going to go next. And it sounds simple, but not not enough video games do that. Yeah, that that joy of surprise, as I've already as discussed. As Breath of the Wild does. <laughs> yeah, and and very important. Um, yeah, we need to talk about what our next Backlog Club thing is going to be. It's been a little while. We definitely need to get one going. Uh, so, yeah, for the so summer. We'll, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out, and uh, we'll get back to you. If you have any ideas for a Backlog Club, shoot us an email. This Life at gmail.com. Uh, we'll remind you at the end of the program as well uh, of that email address. But, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just fill in Link to the Past and Super Metroid here, because... You can't really yeah. go wrong with either of those games. Um, I, I want to replay Link to the Past. I I kind of played it through in a week, and I don't remember it that well when I think about it now. <laughs> it's just a blur. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, it's a great game, and um, I, I always hold the opinion that it's not quite the Zelda that I like because it is, you know, those dungeons are much more mazes with enemies as opposed to puzzle boxes, right. uh, which is what I kind of love from the series. But um, it's definitely an excellent addition, um, and I am, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, and Super Metroid, you know. If it had the controls of Zero Mission, I think it might be one of the best games of all time. Mm. Uh, as it stands, I still think it's one of the best games of all time, but it doesn't. it's not quite got that slickness that I like from the not GBA quite versions. Not slick, but there's, a, um, there's, a, there's a, a feeling, I think, that game does that I don't think other 2D Metroids can replicate in the same way. There's a... Sure. Something about it that's that's very intangible, intangible, intangible. Yeah. Um, really but like. also in terms of just the world um, design, like going from place to place and how they interlock, I just think it's expertly crafted to mm. that degree. So uh, the next one, Bali, you talked about it. Yeah. In the last F-Zero. segment or the first segment, F Zero, the launch game of this nest, like we mentioned earlier. It's it's a good game. It's I I liked it. It, it it's. That's the criteria for this list. You had to like the I game. I liked so. it. Next game. Let's go. <laughs> Next game. You already talked about it. Uh, Mega uh-huh. Man 2. Uh, Mega Man 2, possibly the best game on either of these lists. I don't know. Maybe. I'd, I'd, I put it pretty high We're up We're not there. ordering so. them here. We're just... This is, this, is, this is us meeting Fizz's challenge. Yeah, this is meeting the challenge. So how many have we got so far? That's uh, five, six, I think. Right. Yeah. That's six after... Uh, so we're going to put Mega Man 3 in there as well. I think Mega Man 3 is a good game. Um, and then Mega Man X, which is one that I think you got to get around to at some point, Bally. Okay. Um, it's a very different style of game from from 2. It keeps a lot of the DNA of, of Mega Man, but it's got a lot of that wall jumping stuff going on, and it has some interesting kind of backtracking things that I, I appreciated. Um, yeah, Mega Man X, X is a, a fantastic game. Um, and then we have one of your picks, Bally. So a rare Country. Classic. I absolutely love this game. I think it it held up. It gets so much stick now for the way it looks, and I actually like the way it looks in a really weird way. I just think it it it's the slower paced, more thoughtful platformer in my view. I think it just the original Donkey Kong Country is a more simplistic game than Mario World or Mario Bros. Three or whatever you want to whatever 2d platform we want to compare it to but it, it there's a there's a real vibe to that game that is slower paced the music feel it's just 
music is more relaxed it's it's a great score and donkey kong's just better than mario come on like he's just we're all full of controversies full of god don't say that jesus oh boy i want to start some fires in here um I guess against my good wishes, you've added Yoshi's Island to this list, which, you know, if you want to be sick, sure, play Yoshi's Island. But. I really want someone else to write in just to just to agree with you that they might feel sick with this game, because I think it's the most unusual game to... You, you need to show Caroline Yoshi's Island, because <laughs> yeah. I need some confirmation. It's the other person I, I know who gets I sick to, very I easily. Show her, yeah, this 2D platformer. I'll, I'll give yeah. it a go. I, I, I really like Yoshi's Island. Um... I think Yoshi's gone astray in a way that I don't think DK has in the same way. But yeah, I, I think the original Yoshi's Island is such an improvement on Mario World. It's, this is Mario World 2. I mean, it's a completely different game. It's very harsh to compare them. but You can't really. But This game has a really great art style, which is just aged in such an awesome way. It, and it also uses the um, FX chip in some cool ways, like the falling platforms. Cool and ways stuff. that make it impossible possible to re-emulate or something apparently yeah exactly you you haven't actually played the super nintendo version no of this, i've played you? the game boy advance uh, right version, yeah which, which the, the everyone purest, says is bad well, so. the purists say you can't see enough screen but i beg yeah. to differ but uh and i guess also the gba with the sound chip a lot of people don't like so mm, mm. that's the thing but yeah but, uh, we'll, we'll throw it onto the list anyway because you basically played it mm. um next one is castlevania the original i had a blast with it's fucking hard as balls and bullshit in so many ways but also great like i i love it i think it's just it is memorization the game done well and every screen of castlevania is memorable every time you get to a place you're like i remember this i need to remember how i did this because there is a specific way for doing the specific area that is gonna work and you enter this rhythm that is just super super intense and um and it's it's a challenge for sure but i i love the original castlevania and it is one of the best nes games i think despite having not played enough but you know (laughs) this is what we're basing this list on all right next up uh is chrono trigger which i've already mentioned i think i've talked to death uh bally before this podcast crawls to its end you need to fucking play chrono trigger right we're not friends anymore okay i'll play gauntlet i've wanted to go out on switch come on yeah, it. you know, special console. I'm so confused as to why Square never put out any of their fucking things on, on Wii U. Like, didn't get Final Fantasy VI, that came out in Japan. Didn't get Chrono Trigger. I guess Chrono Trigger's on DS, so it's less egregious, but... Like, Sorry, come on, Final Square. Final Fantasy VI came out on Wii U Virtual Console in Japan. It did, yeah. <laughs> and it didn't okay. It didn't come out for us. It's on Wii Virtual Console, yeah. so if you want to dig into the fucking depth of the Wii Shop channel, be my guest, but there's no other way you can play Final Fantasy VI on the Wii U in our country. So thanks, Nintendo. Uh, let's hope they fix that. Um, and then uh, the next one is, is one that I, I played, uh, I guess, at a time when it was needed to be played, which was very sadly after the passing of satori water but it was balloon fight uh, a game that he was involved very heavily in and was crucial to the creation of uh, and a game which i still think is super fun to this day yeah it's that original formula it's it's the the flappy bird before flappy bird it's <laughs> it's and that it's a long long time before flappy bird when you think about it it's crazy uh it's a really solid idea and mechanic that works and 
you know, it's someone like Iwata who comes up with stuff like that. Like, there's few people who come up with these unique mechanics that you see in video games that go on to be repeated over years and years in different styles. It's interesting because I was watching a Jeremy Parrish video on Balloon Fight and the main mode of Balloon Fight, which is the kind of the multiplayer hitting balloons and, and killing enemies on screen together or even griefing one another, is essentially a, a straight ripoff of a game called Joust, uh, which I think a lot of people reference and is... I, I'm not sure what system it came out on, but it was a very early, like, you know, kind of Amiga Day uh, style thing um, where you're kind of like, you know, on these chickens and flying around with this jousting thing. You have to kill people. But the uh, the other mode, which is Balloon Trip, which is the one that we're kind of referencing in, in relation to Flappy Bird, was, I think, kind of just whole cloth this new creation. So hmm. um, it's interesting that the main mode is the one that isn't actually as, as innovative <laughs> as you might think, uh, but the, the other one is, so... Uh, I, I mainly like Balloon Fight for Balloon Trip, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, so that's where I've come down on it. Uh, and then the, the next game, which I think it might be our last game, and we need to count up how many we have right now because it's not 20. Uh, but Bali, how about you talk about that one? It's Excitebike. Uh, and I've experienced this game mainly through two ways. Two ways. Now you're probably wondering, like, Bally, what's the other way you experienced this game? I think I do know what the other way is, and I want to have hazard a guess. Go for it. Is it the card reader, which I can't remember the fucking the name e-card of. The e-card reader, exactly. The e-card reader, yes. yeah. I had, I had like, a, a small stack of cards. I, th- I believe it was three, four, five cards, and I'd have to scan all five cards into my card reader, and then I could play Excitebike. On the GBA? On the GBA, I should say. Uh yeah, the e-card reader, that was, that was strange. It's a hell it? of a weird thing that never came out here, and the only oh, reason you have so one is because you went to America right. and bought it. Yeah. So. Wow, my memory's just flooding back with that thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, and of of course, the 3DS classics, uh, everyone got it for free on the 3DS as well. Uh, so yes. I've played quite a bit of this. Like, I really enjoyed... Uh, the technique of there's not there's a lot of technique to this game and like working out how you land jumps essentially and when to boost when not to boost that was obviously repeated in games like excite truck it's a cool mechanic of that game which is a good game because it's ultimately push your luck um in order to benefit and i guess games like f-zero gx do similar things but it's, it's a really important mechanic when it comes to racing games that I think works really well in this game. I, I, this game even has um, a course creator mode and things like this, and it, it's a, there's a lot more depth to it than meets the eye initially. And for an NES game, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's cool. I think the 3D Classics did it a good job of making that feel unique in a way. I don't know. Excite Bike is one of those things where it's a very weird thing and it's a cool concept but it's very simple and i think the added benefit of having the 3d visuals like gave it a bit of a pop uh, was the f- i think that's the first time i'd seen something like that because they hadn't done any other nes style games in stereoscopic so uh, they did it with kid icarus as well which is not on this list because i think kid icarus is fucking trash i really don't <laughs> like kid icarus at all um i watched nintendo capri sun play through it and man that game gets fucking weird and hard and just ugh. I never want to play Kid Icarus. Like, it has these dungeons that are horrible. It's bad. Um, you get turned into fucking eggplant, and it's awful. You have to run around like an idiot. Uh, anyway, that's 14 games, Bally. 
So we failed at Fizz's challenge because I can't we think of any been. other NES or Super Nintendo games that I've played properly that I've enjoyed. I, I feel like I've played a bunch of these games like over the years, randomly on emulators and on other exactly. random people's houses and things like that. But, but they don't cut the mustard. Yeah, I guess not. Um, it's uh, it's a shame, but you know we can't do it. So we're going to fill out this list with six other games that we want to play that we think are interesting to us and uh, that we'd be uh, curious to get on board with. Uh, so I'm going to tick one off the list straight away because we've already talked about it. It's Final Fantasy VI. I have to play this game. It's probably, if we're talking about one game that is a classic that I haven't played, that I want to play the most, it's Final Fantasy VI. So that's there. Uh, then we've got Super Mario Kart for you, Bally, because strangely enough, Very despite having played most Mario Kart games, this is the one that missed you by. I've played every single Mario Kart game apart from this one. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and like, I, not, I, I've, touched it here and there someone's had it somewhere at some point and i've i have experienced this game but i've never owned it and never played it for any substantial period of time so super mario kart it's got to, it's got to get tried out at some point um yeah I, i'm interested to see how you react to that because you weren't a huge fan of super circuit but i know people hold this one in much higher regard than the gba game yeah so. yeah so yeah. I, exactly it, on paper it looks a bit like super circuit but you're right people love this a lot more yeah um next up super mario rpg the genesis of the paper mario slash mario and luigi series uh again this is a square enix creation it's not really i mean nintendo was involved but yeah this is this is a weird one and it's a game that i've watched a playthrough of before so i kind of know the bones of it but uh yeah i've played through it myself um, that's one that I would like to hit, and it'd be cool to like go through, uh, you know, starting with this and then play Paper Mario, and then you know go through all those because it's a series that I haven't gone to the roots of. I've played a lot of the Mario and Luigi stuff, but not the older RPGs. So it's one I'm interested in. Uh, and then next up, we have Secret of Mana, which is a classic that everyone talks about um, that I'm not really that familiar with. I know it's, like, it's RPG-esque, but I think it's also kind of action-based. I think it kind of blends this line between Zelda and Final Fantasy. Um, and I think Secret of Mana is also a co-op game, so that would be the sort of thing where we could play together through that game. I think that would be very cool. Um, but, but, but that uh, sort of action combination, isn't that something that a game like Golden Sun does a lot of? No, Golden Sun is a turn-based RPG. The thing that's different about is Golden Sun is... Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it, Golden Sun has uh, kind of world puzzles that use some of your abilities that right, are Zelda-esque. Okay. So, like, you're pushing stones and things, like, with, with abilities that is kind of Zelda-type puzzles in the overworld. But Golden Sun is very much an RPG in the okay. traditional sense. Um, but, yeah, we'll we'll get to that maybe at some, some point. Um, uh, then the the fifth one is Contra. Because I watched Dan and Vinny uh, over at Giant Bomb play through Contra, and just as an NES game, it looks incredibly slick and um, and fast-paced and an action romp and good fun and the sort of co-op thing that I think we'd have a good fun time with. Um, I, I, I feel like I've played some version of Contra before. It might have been like a re-release of it, or maybe it was a Metal Slug game. I can't remember. It was at someone's house years ago, and I yes, remember sitting I, down. I swear it was Metal Slug. I, I'm, I'm sure I've played it with you or something. Yeah, it, it might have been. But, uh, but Contra is kind of the origin of, of that idea. Do you think of that just, could you know, come, out, come out on Switch and we could just take a Joy-Con each and play it that way? 
I'm sure it would allow that. Yeah, that, that would be really cool. Um, so so keep an eye out, hopefully, for that happening. Uh, and then finally, it's a game that has been sitting on my Wii U forever. And again, it's part of the uh, the 30 pence collection. Kirby's Adventure on NES, which is like the latest era game possible. I think someone was recently saying that Kirby's Adventure came out literally like a year before N64 happened, or before PS1 happened, I think. Yeah, because the weird timeline thing going on where the NES just kept selling, right? Even after Super Nintendo was out. So they kept making games for it, and Kirby's Adventure was like one of the last ones to ever come out on the NES, and it was like 1994 or something ridiculous when it came out. And PS1, I believe, was 96, maybe 95 in Japan. Um, So... Yeah, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> like, you go from Kirby's Adventure to Metal Gear Solid. What, what kind of a movement is that? I guess Metal Gear Solid is much later in like '98 or whatever. Right. Still, the the point stands. <laughs> but I want to play Kirby's Adventure. That's that's my point. Um, I don't know if you've got access to this tall ballet. Uh, maybe it's on the Wii U Virtual Console. Yeah, Just it's probably it fun. Yeah, we'll give it a go. So there you go. That's twenty games. Six Close we haven't played yet. Us. He beat us. Well, of course, we weren't going to be able we to do this. We were six short. Yeah, we're, we're real bad. And this is fucking between the two of us. <laughs> we probably could have made a list of 20, but the spirit of the question was games that we enjoyed. Right. Of course. So so with that, Bally, I think we're going to close things out for uh, the episode this week. Uh, where can people find us and do things like that on the internet? Please find me on the internet. I'm at Ballyman91 on Twitter. That's B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1. I'd highly recommend also checking out the podcast Twitter account, which is at TNL Podcast. That's at TNL Podcast. That is the best place to go to see when new episodes of the show are out and to check out our YouTube channel, which is, of course, youtube.com forward slash this Nintendo life, where we're doing a, currently doing a let's play of The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. We are indeed. It's... Uh... It's getting better, I think. I'm remembering how to use a Wii U gamepad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's uh, it's a fun time. time. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on the internet at LordNBZ on the Twitter. Uh, you can write into the show at an email address that we have, which Bally will remind you of right now. This Nintendo Life at gmail.com. That is this Nintendo Life at gmail.com. Please send in your thoughts and your questions. Um, we really want them, we need them. They keep the show yeah, as, going. We, as we said in the email section, we uh, kind of uh, we're digging through some old stuff right now, and uh, we'd, we'd like a bit of a refresher. So if you can refresh the bucket for us, that would be much appreciated. So send in your emails; uh, we uh, we read them all, uh, and uh, you know we'll we'll get to it if it's a good one. Uh, so then uh, you can be found in various places. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Uh, I checked Google Play the other day, Bali. Still not in our country, so fun times. Uh, uh, but yeah, we can be found on every podcast app available. Just uh, go into whatever podcast app you have. I use Pocket Casts. It's pretty good, I guess. I think it's like the only good Android um, podcast app. Uh, Apple has much better selection, so that's uh, it's a thing that you people out there could probably take a look at and, and download us on. So subscribe and download us, all that stuff. It's great. Uh, come straight to your door if your door is your phone which that is my door <laughs> door into my window of my life i'm look i'm going off on a tangent now Bally, so we need to close the show out uh, anything to say before we leave leave this mess behind us um 
I think that was an above average show. I think it was good. Uh, okay, yeah. all right. <laughs> Looping we'll it back around to start. Sure, we'll come full circle. There we go. I agree. I think it was above average. And I think you all listening are also very much above average. Thank you all for listening. Uh, thanks for sticking with the show. Uh, we, we appreciate you. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you in a couple of weeks' time with some more podcasts and some more video games, some more Nintendo. Until then, thanks for listening. Goodbye, everyone. interludes used on today's episode were a rock remix of Big Blue and Mute City from F-Zero and Rivers in the Desert from Persona 5, Copyright Atlas 2017